Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about atmosphere. Every person is a carrier of atmosphere. Atmosphere is a word that I've chosen because you understand it. The word atmosphere also has the meaning of the word mood or the word environment. Everybody knows when you say to someone, I know the mood you have or you're moody or you have mood swings. Boy, that person really has an attitude. Usually we say that with a little bit of a negative. Boy, they have an attitude. Or we might say they have a great attitude. They have a great mood about them, a great way about them. Every person builds an environment around their lives, not accidental. Environment built in your life, in your home, in your business, in our church is not accidental. Every atmosphere has layered into it things like attitudes, convictions, principles you live by. Those Words you use to confess all the time, the vocabulary of negative or positive, your mindset, your worldview, all of it shaken up together equals an atmosphere around your life, an atmosphere of faith, atmosphere of unbelief, atmosphere of God can or I don't think he will, he never does, an atmosphere of life is to be lived or, you know, life is just a great, great, great big bummer and I don't know if I really have that much attitude about anything going to change. And so your attitude can go before you and actually permeate everyone around you. And so you carry an atmosphere. Now, one of the things that should change your atmosphere in your life is prayer. As you learn to pray, you change your spirit, you change your mind, change your heart, change your attitude, wait on the Lord, read the Bible, have some devotions, come to church, pray some more, and you learn how to pray. Prayer also lifts up a spirit of faith so that you're not as negative and you have not as much worry and anxiety as Jesus talks about those who have this anxiety attack that comes upon them about their life and their job and uh, their material goods. says you don't have to worry about those things. Your father knows them. But if you're not into a spirit of prayer, you can have a spirit of worry or a spirit of negative confession or whatever it might be. Prayer is not only for us personally, but us as a church, a congregation. When we come together, prayer should be so normal, so easy. Prayer should be something that every believer comes to church with. You carry prayer in with you. See, the church service is not built by a group of people on the platform or a bunch of pastors who are super spiritual or some elders who really have it together. Church services are built by people, the congregation. You're responsible to make this service awesome or to let the service fall flat on its face. It's not the band's responsibility, not the worship leader, not the pastor or pastors, not the ushers, not the lighting or the sound. The difference in a church service comes down to you and me as individuals. If we carry into the service a spirit of prayer and praise and faith and lifting up and we want to minister to one another and minister to God and we come in ready to go, then the whole service is different. We come in and we don't have any engagement 
with the service itself in prayer or worship and we're spacing out. We're thinking about tomorrow or today or dinner or something we have to do or something we forgot or we're just flat out lazy. We don't even engage our physical body because we're just a little tired. You know, went to the beach yesterday or had this or, you know, worked, been working seven days a week and boy, I'm in the service, understand that. And so you can be physically tired and just kind of let the service go by or you can kind of shake yourself and say, hey, everyone shout, hey, Hey. say out loud, "I'm I'm in church. You know, church is only a very small part of life and a small part of the day. For you, It's probably once a week for an hour and a half. Surely in an hour and a half, even if you're tired, you can get yourself up enough to not be tired. Can I hear an amen? An hour and a half. You could probably discipline your mind not to think about everything about next week or later today. But, of course, it takes a little bit of a discipline, a little bit of an engagement, a little bit of a mindset to say, you know what? I'm at church, and I'm going to pray to God, and I'm going to worship God. Can I hear an amen? All right. Now, prayer is an attitude. Prayer is a habit. Prayer is a discipline. Prayer is biblical. Jesus prayed. The apostles prayed. The early church prayed. All kinds of prayers in the Bible. I don't have to convince you that you should pray. Most of us feel guilty because we don't pray more. But I want you to learn how to pray, not only personally, but also when we gather together to pray for one another. It could be when we say, let's pray for one another. Some of you would say, boy, you know, that's a big order. I don't know how to pray for people. What a great place to learn how to pray. If you don't know how to pray, church is a great place to learn how to pray. And so even if you don't know how to pray, you grab the hands of those people and you pray for them, minister to them, lift them up. You learn how to pray. You might stumble around the first couple of times. It might seem a little odd to you. But eventually, you will become a person that will know how to pray for other people. Worship. Let's talk about worship this morning. Not only do we have prayer, but the other atmosphere that is very important to us at City Bible Church, important to me, is senior pastor of this church and campuses is worship. Let's talk about the atmosphere of worship. Now, remember, the word atmosphere is a pervading or surrounding influence, a general mood or an environment. All right, what's the mood? What's the influence? What is the environment that we want to build in City Bible Church, in our services, in our small groups, in our gatherings at any time where worship is engaged, where worship is sought after and released. What kind of an atmosphere are we seeking to build? The atmosphere of a worshiping church. Worship creates an atmosphere where God moves in with his presence and power, drawing people to be touched, healed, forgiven, and saved. What is a worshiping church? Simply a church where God moves in. Everyone say moves in. Where God encounters the people. Where the Spirit of God is accepted and released in a sense, even though the Spirit of God is always here, there is a felt presence that's released where God actually begins to move in and touch people by his presence and by his power. 
heals people, saves people. Worship can be very evangelistic. People can get saved and do many times in our services during the worship service. We know that by the things they fill out and by the people that we baptize. A lot of them find Jesus during the worship service. A lot of them call on the name of the Lord. A lot of prodigals come back to Christ during the worship service. Worship is a very important part of who we are. A worshiping church, another definition, worship is an opportunity for man to invite, invite God's power and presence to move among those worshiping him. Our worship service is an invitation. We're saying, God, come. God, please visit here. God, stop by here in a way that where you can touch people with your spirit and with your power. A worshiping church, and this is a simple definition, but I like this one best of all because it's so simple and so direct. Worship is the right response to the presence of God. A personal and biblical response. When you have a heart that's touched by God, you want to respond to him. When you have something that goes on in your life because of the grace of God, the power, the forgiveness, the the moving of God in your life, God moving into your world, you want to respond to him in a personal way. Worship is a love response to God. I don't really have to teach you a lot about in a sense, about all the techniques of worship, although there are some techniques and principles and some physical expressions of worship in the Bible that you would know and I would know, such as lifting of hands and clapping and kneeling and and singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. There's things we can talk about. But worship is not about technique. Worship is about heart. If the heart is alive... Worship can take place in any culture, at any time, with any kind of music. Worship is not music. Music is separate, although it is infused and can become, obviously, married to the worship service. But worship can be done without sound. Worship is a person's heart. Loving God. It's your inner world connecting to God. It's the cry of the human spirit and the Holy Spirit in me unto God. I don't need a band to lead me into having a love affair with God. I don't need music to lead me into a mindset. Now, music, bands, and instruments, Psalms 115, we'll mention that sometime in this series, about the whole music aspect of it is important. We do endorse that. I understand it. But the bottom line is, do you love God or not? And if you love God, you want to express your love to him. When you worship God with your heart, you don't really care about what other people think. You don't care about what other people are saying. You're focused on God. Do you remember the first time you took your, if you're married, your wife out before you were married and you dated or courted that woman? Do you remember the love relationship or you as ladies who had that relationship to the man, that love relationship that you had in creating a relationship with another person? Words were not always that important. You could even at times just sit and stare at each other and have a pretty satisfying minute. You could actually say very few words and they were very meaningful. 
You could actually just reach over and touch the person's hand and it could send chills right to their ears. Because there was love involved. It doesn't take a lot when there's love involved. When there's love involved, you can respond to that person from your heart, your attitude, your spirit. And that person can receive it because they know it's filled with love. It's filled with meaning. It's filled with significance. Worship has to have a love aspect to it. A worshiping heart in order for it to touch the heart of God. Got to have some heart. How's your heart? Scripture, Psalms 34 and verse 1. Notice, I will. Will you say out loud, I will? One more time. I will bless the Lord at all times. It's personal. I will. Now, there are times when we will. But if you come to church and you don't have an I will, the we will won't get you into worship. You have to have a personal love relationship, a personal encounter, and a hunger for God for you to say, I will bless the Lord. At all times, his praises shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Psalm 61 And verse 8, so I will sing praise. Notice, so I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. Psalm 71 and verse 8, let my mouth, my mouth, I can't worship for you. I can't be your worshiper. You can't hire me to do that. I can't stand next to you and say, don't worry about it. I'm going to worship for you right now. You just stand right there and I'm going to fill my mouth with praise for you. You don't have to praise. It doesn't happen that way. Worship and praise has to come out of your mouth, out of your heart, or it's not worship and praise. It has to be in you, not just in the atmosphere around you. It has to come through your grid, through your filter, out from your heart into your mouth, where you start singing the words from your heart. Let my mouth be filled with your praise with your glory all the day. Psalms 119, 164, seven times a day. I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Psalms 147, verse 1. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant. And praise is beautiful. A person who does not have that connection that I'm talking about or have a life inside of you that is spiritually alive, Worship might not be that pleasant to you. It might be work or it might be boring. Or it might just flat out be distasteful for you. Not something you want to do. You might want to check the spiritual pulse of your heart. Psalms 150 and verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, are you breathing? Because if you're breathing and you're alive, you should be a worshiper. Psalm 22 and verse 3. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. God does something in the midst of worship that is so unusual. 
Let me give you a description of what our worship is like, at least what our goal would be and what we're trying to accomplish so you understand it. A description of worship and worshipers here at City Bible Church and how we see it biblically. Here's just some very short little uh, descriptions that will help you maybe identify and also ramp up to worship with us. Our worship, number one, is biblical. I don't say that looking down my nose as if anyone else that worships different than us is not biblical. But we do seek to worship not just traditionally or culturally, but biblically. For the Bible says, stand and lift and shout and sing and spontaneous praise and the song of the Lord and the prophetic atmosphere. The Bible has something to say about Those things, I would have to go into those things and say, all right, are we a biblically worshiping community? What does it take to worship biblical? You should always ask yourself, if something bothers you about worship, is it not in the Bible? And that's why it bothers you. Just simply ask yourself. Well, you know what? I don't like this lifting of hands stuff. Okay then your next comment to yourself should be, and lifting of hands is not in the Bible, and I don't have to like it. Then you're dismissed from lifting your hands forever. But if it's in the Bible, you might have to say, it could be that God is right and I am wrong. It could be that it's a biblical expression and I should change the way I approach worship. Well, you know, I don't like all this clapping, shouting. I'm not much of a shouter. I don't like this singing praise, whatever it might be. Or I don't do it very well, or I'm not sure I have to do it. I'm not sure you have to do it either. But it seems to me that the Bible's pretty clear about how we worship. Number two, our worship is demonstrative. It involves expression. Why? Because that's what the Bible says to do. The Bible says, kneel before his presence. The Bible says, dance before the Lord. Now, that would get a few of you if we start teaching on dancing. Say, well, you know, I I think I'm fine with lifting of hands if you just lay off the dancing. I'll be fine with clapping, but what do you mean twirling and whirling and you honestly... Don't expect me to ever do that, do you? I don't know. I I don't know if it's up to me to tell you what I expect of you. I think worship is between you and God. And I think you have to look at the Bible and you have to read Psalms 100 and do something with it. Serve the Lord with gladness, not sadness. Church should be a place to laugh. Turn your neighbor and laugh a little bit. Come on, try it. Just open your mouth and laugh. Ha, 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 ha. Do something. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Into his courts with praise. Be thankful. Bless his name. Number three, worship should be sincere. It's with the heart focused on God. Not on performance, but genuine, pure-hearted Sincerity in worship. Sincerity is devotion. Sincere. Pure-hearted. Fourth, worship should be a 
participative sport. Not sport in that sense like competitive, but activity. We should be participators in worship. Not a spectator event. It's not something done to us or for us, but it's done by us. Worship is not done to you. Worship is not done for you. Worship is done by you for it to be worship. Listen to this scripture talking about a person who participates. 2 Samuel 6, verse 12. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obedidim and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. The ark of God in the Old Testament was in the tabernacle of Moses. And it was in the most holy place. If you know the Bible or tabernacle of Moses, there was the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place. The outer court had the brazen altar and the laver. The, uh, the holy place had the candlestick, the showbread, and the altar of incense. And then you finally went into a place called the most holy place that had one piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant had the angels that looked down on the mercy seat that was sprinkled with blood where the high priest came in once a year to confess the sins of Israel and God would speak from the blood-stained mercy seat. And the whole holy place was filled with the Shekinah or the visible glory of God, the presence of God. So the Ark represented... To the people of Israel, in those days, the ark represented the very presence of God, the voice of God, the glory of God, the power of God, the forgiveness of God. The ark was a very important piece of furniture for these folks. The ark had been taken by the Philistines into captivity for a number of years. Then it finally got back to the house of Obadiah because they couldn't handle the ark. Every time they touched it, judgment came on the Philistines and the heathen that tried to touch the ark of God. And finally it got to the house of Obadiah and stayed there. And then David became king and he heard, you know, the house of Obadiah is really blessed. He said, why is that? Because they have the ark. The ark, is that a house? That's right. David says, I'm going to go get it. And I'm going to set up the tabernacle of David, which became one of the great places of worship in the Old Testament and a great place for us to teach from in the New Testament is the tabernacle of David. Now just listen to what happened. Remember, the ark is the presence of God, the power of God, the voice of God, the forgiveness of God. It's it's a visible, manifested presence. David says, I'm going to go get the ark. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obadiah to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he stopped sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep every six steps. Then David, whoa, this is in the Bible, danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord was shouting with the sound of the trumpets Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. 
Then it goes on to talk about what she said to him. Oh, wasn't the king glorious today out there jumping around like an idiot? You're the king of Israel wearing a linen ephod. What do you think you're doing? Bringing up this little box back to the city. I mean, she just gets on his case. And David says, you know what, honey? I didn't do this for you. It's not about you, Michael. And matter of fact, I don't give a rip what you think. That's what the Hebrew means there. David's saying to her, it's not about you. I don't care what you think. And the Bible says from that day forward, Michael became barren, which was a curse upon women in those days, whether it came out of just what she said or a hard attitude that led up to it, I don't know. But the fact is, from that day on, the Bible says she was barren. And so there's a Michael attitude. And this Michael attitude can permeate People in the body of Christ and the church today where we can look down upon people that are worshiping and have what I call a Michael mentality that goes something like this. This is a Michael mentality. Well, you know, some people just need a lot of exuberance. Others of us don't. The implication is that mature people don't need it. Here's another one. Kind of a smirk on the face and just responding to someone about worship. You know, it's all a matter of a person's cultural background, isn't it? You and I are culturally reserved. The implication, of course, is reserved is socially superior or culturally advanced to the person that was doing something other than what you did. Well, you know, that's just not my background. And those people, well, you know, they come out of kind of a old-fashioned Pentecostal stuff, I think. You know, the Pentecostals were an uneducated group anyway. And, you know, the Charismatics, they were kind of airheads too. And, you know, the Jesus people movement, and, you know, these worship movements, all these people do is just wave their hands and sing these choruses over and over and over and over again. They are of a different culture than we are. And I don't think we have to do that. The implication, of course, is I'm superior to that culture. I don't need to embarrass myself with those things. I remember taking my Baptist father, who was a Baptist pastor, to my Pentecostal church as a Jesus freak, because this is the church I started going to because of the presence and worship, and I loved it. And so I finally talked my Baptist father, who was a Baptist pastor, to come with me to this particular church. And I can remember during the worship that I was waiting for us to kind of kick in where we would clap, and clap a little bit and lift hands and kind of worship. And as soon as we started lifting hands, my dad said to me, what are all these people doing? I said, what do you mean? Why are they all lifting their hands? I said, "Uh, because you're supposed to. I don't know. But it was so foreign to him. It was like, well, this is not our tradition. Well, that's the problem with so many of us that bring our tradition into so many different buildings called churches around America, we think that a tradition sometimes is Bible. And that a dogma we learned, or a doctrine someone said is a doctrine, 
but was actually a tradition is actually the way it has to be done when in fact we have to go back to the scripture and say, well, you know what? What does the Bible say? Here's another one. Have you heard this one? You must watch out for emotionalism. It becomes so subjective. And worship loses its objectivity and worshiping God and starts to center on people's emotions. So we're trying to guard God and people's emotions. Emotions are bad. Emotions are not good. How about this one? You know, I believe, don't you, that everyone should worship God in their own way and according to their own beliefs? After all, to do otherwise, well, it's kind of uncivil. You know, each of us should worship God according to the dictates of our own heart. How about this one? Thinking to yourself, I wouldn't let it worry me. After all, what difference can it make? God looks on the heart anyway. All this activity doesn't add a thing to the heart. Why should I have to express anything when God knows my heart? We could go on and on to responses, some of which are not obviously in the category of a Michael mentality, but responses that could rob you of being free to worship the way God created you to worship and have at least some bottom line, simplistic forms of worship where you can sing, you can express yourself, you can open your heart to God, and you can participate in a worship service because you understand it to be, number five, worship is for God, not for man. You worship God. Number six, worship is supposed to be alive. Alive with the Spirit of God, alive with people that are alive, alive with joy, alive with presence. Number seven, worship should be spiritual. Not just all soul or emotion. There should be a spiritual aspect to it. Transformation, formation, exaltation. There should be a spiritual aspect to worship. Number eight is contemporary. I use that word because the definition for contemporary means belonging to the same period of time, the same age, current, modern, up to date. Contemporary is something we have a right to do. What is contemporary today is obviously different than what was 100 years ago or 50 years ago. And so there's tools that we can use. Music is a tool of influence. Other things are tools of influence that in a contemporary culture, the culture we live in, we can use those tools as long as they don't replace the spiritual aspect of what we're trying to accomplish. They're tools to be used. Number nine, worship is responsive. Lifting up your own soul to God and responding. Now, let me say just a little bit about the worshiper, all right? That's nine words that would describe at least what we're after with our worship. Four descriptions of a worshiper. One, a worshiper should be a believer. Believe in God, believe in the Bible. You're a believer, you're born again, your spirit is lit. You understand the presence, so you're a believer. Now, as an unbeliever, you come into a worship service, you can 
change your spirit and your attitude through that prayer of crying out to God. I understand that. Once you do that, worship is a believer's activity because you're pressing into the God you know and the God you know what he might do and you have a belief system about the scriptures that speak about what God will do, etc. Number two, a worshiper is a follower of God. A follower of God is a person who pursues God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And so you're a follower of God. And because of that, worship is so easy for you. Third, you're a lover of God. A person who is placing their affection, passions, and emotions on loving God. Very simple. Tony Campala was asked about worship, and I thought his, his answer was intriguing. Tony Campalo is actually a psychologist, but he travels in Christian circles speaking, etc. Tony says, uh, in response to the question, do you think worship songs should necessarily teach doctrines of faith? Do you think that worship songs should teach doctrine? Tony's response, as if you've ever heard Tony or know anything about him, he's, he's pretty quick. He says, I don't think hymns have to be sermons set to music. Worship is about something else. It is about that. It's about time that we recognize that worship is legitimate and has a legitimate role in the emotion. Worship is pouring out one's heart and soul with passion and intensity. That's what worship is mostly about. When lovers finish talking to each other, I am not convinced that they have communicated theologies and philosophies. I believe they have exchanged the deepest feelings of their heart and deepest feelings of their minds. So I believe that worship is a time of loving. Sometimes feelings that cannot even be put into words. But no, you cannot take love out of worship. The content, yes, the worship song should have Biblical content, the worship songs, if can be, should instill scripture or pieces of doctrine. Absolutely, that would only help us to remember them. But worship, bottom line, is about loving God. And you exchanging your thoughts with him and your emotions with him and him renewing your strength and God coming upon your life. And fourth, a worshiper is a wholehearted responder. A wholehearted responder. Our worship comes from a person who opened their entire personality to God. Why do we lift our hands? Well, there's several reasons. Actually, next week, and I'll talk with you about that from a doctrinal angle almost. But there is something about lifting of hands that if it is a physical expression of the inner self, inner world, It says, I'm open. It says, I'm reaching. It says, here I am, God. There's something about a person stretching out with their physical frame that has an influence on the heart and spirit of the person. 